One of the things that Scripture makes clear is that the last days are going to be days of glory, that the glory of the Lord is going to come and it's going to be seen in the earth and it's going to be seen upon the people of God. And, of course, one of the most iconic verses when you think about the glory covering the earth is Isaiah. Remember Isaiah uh, chapter 60 and verse 2. It says, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee, and the Gentiles shall come to your light, the kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see all they that gather themselves together. They come to thee, thy sons shall come from afar, the daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then shall you see and flow together. Your heart shall fear and be enlarged because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. There's going to be great and deep darkness that's going to come upon the earth. That's not insignificant, right? <laughs> we feel it in the last days. We feel it in, the, in well, the last day, we feel it today. It, much less the last days. We feel the increase of darkness, but, I love that word here, but in the context of the evil we see today, it's just increasing, but the glory of the Lord will be seen. The glory of God will be seen. It will be evident. It'll be evident not just to the church, but to mankind, to the world. All right, they, they love nothing better than just, just to deny, deny anything about a creator. Of course, because if they acknowledge a creator, then they acknowledge, well, he's in charge. They don't want to do that. But in the last days, they're going to see the glory of God. They won't be able to deny it because it'll be evident. <clears throat> And where will they see his glory? It says, the glory of the Lord will be seen upon thee, upon the people of God. You know, Pastor Bailey wrote in one of his books, uh, he said that for many years he would ask the Lord, Lord, what's the end of the matter? Lord, what's the end of of?" at all what's the purpose and he said the lord would always respond back the glory that <clears throat> excuse me that the purpose of it all is the glory of god being seen and so the end of the matter of the last days is his glory coming upon the earth and his glory coming upon uh the his people and being seen and I know I've, I've shared this in, in past either messages or Bible studies or something, but um, someone had a vision of the last days and they were able to see the church just kind of growing in glory. But what was unique about it is, is they were able to see the church and heaven at the same time. And they saw the church just increasing and increasing in glory until they looked at the church and then they looked at heaven, and that glory was virtually the same. That the glory of God is going to come upon his people 
as the earth has never seen before. The Hebrew word for glory, uh, I'm not going to try and quote it. It gives the idea of a visible and luminous manifestation of his person. God is invisible. We serve an invisible God, but yet there's, there are times when he allows his glory to come upon the earth. Remember when they dedicated the temple, his glory came as a cloud and they couldn't even stand to minister. He manifested his person in the earth. Boy, I look forward to when God is going to manifest his person and he shows us who he really is and what he's really like and what he really wants from us. He already does that through his word, but in one sense, that, that's a different manifestation. Right? The glory of God is a manifestation to the earth and to his people showing us his power, his authority, who he is. Yet in this, we often ask a question, don't we? When we talk about the glory and we hear about the last days and we say, wow, that's going to be so nice in the last days, but Lord, how long until we get there? When are we going to see your glory? And we realize in this, in the scriptures, and that God has a timing. You know, we want to see his glory, but yet God has a timing and a purpose for the last days. And there's an aspect of the glory of God where we have to wait. We have to wait upon God. We have to wait for him to move. We have to wait for his timing and his purposes to be fulfilled. As human beings, we are impatient. We don't like to wait. And sometimes in that, you have people that, that wonder, has the Lord forgotten? You know, has, have we missed it so that he's not going to reveal his glory for, for one reason or another? You know, even in the early church, they were saying, well, Lord, how long is this going to take? And there were some that went even farther, went, you know, into the negative, and, and the apostle Peter had to deal with some of them in the church. And in 2 Peter 3 and verse 4, Peter addressed them, and he said, we're, we're, because they were saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where's the promise that God has spoken of? For since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. Nothing has changed. There's nothing new under the sun. We know that from Solomon. And some people might say, you've been preaching this message forever. Or, you know, maybe even in our fellowship, how long have we been preaching about the glory of God and coming into revival and such? And, and you know, well, that is a question. But yet we also have to realize that God has his timing. Our timing is, you know, almost less than worthless. It's negative because it, it prevents us from waiting upon the Lord. Now, there are times when we can call upon God and, you know, we can receive the crumbs from his table, even though his timing is not yet. We can say, Lord, I need a touch and he can meet with us. 
because of our need. But yet, when we're considering the glory of God, there's a need to wait upon Him to move and to work, both in the church but also in our lives because He has a plan and a purpose and a timing for us. And so in preparing for the last days and in preparing for the glory of God to come, there is a need to wait upon God, to wait for Him to do a work. Now, Israel was in a similar situation, well, actually many times in their, in their history, but I was just thinking about after uh, they had been restored to Babylon, uh, from Babylon to Jerusalem, the temple had been rebuilt, Jerusalem was inhabited again, but it, it wasn't quite the same. It wasn't to the same level of, of splendor and of glory that they had experienced before, but they had an expectation. They had an expectation that the Messiah would come and he would bring back the glory and the splendor that they had lost through their disobedience. And so they waited and they waited and they hoped and they hoped. But in that, they became quite weary of you know, following God and doing what was right in his sights. Even the priests got weary of doing what was right and they started to kind of become slack and in how closely they followed God, even in the sacrifices. You know, it, it talks about in Malachi how um, God sent the prophets to preach to them and or to warn them and such because they, they, they started offering the blind animals and the lame ones and the, you know, the sick ones and so forth. And, and they were, they were kind of struggling because they were like, Lord, when are you going to come and, and move? How long? It, it says in Malachi chapter 1, and verse 2, you can kind of see the struggle they were having. And the Lord says to them through his prophet, he says, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, wherein have you loved us? That's quite something to say, where the Lord says, I love you, and they respond back, are you sure you really love us? <laughs> Where, where's the evidence of that love? Well, we only have to read the the rest of the Bible, right? After Malachi comes the answer to that in Matthew and the Gospels of what he did for that love, how he expressed that. But And so the Lord says, I, I love you, but they respond out of the hard experiences they've had. And they said, Lord, where's the evidence of that love? You know, they'd only seen hardness. So really they're saying, Lord, where's the glory? Where is that? Later on, I, I mentioned that, you know, the the priests had become slack in the offerings and they were giving, you know, the worst of the flock to the Lord and saving the best for themselves. But God wanted them to get their eyes upon him again. And he said he gave a purpose in Malachi and in verse 11, Malachi 1 and verse 11. It says, For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Not just among the, the Jews or among God's people, but among the Gentiles. For in every place incense, incense shall be offered unto my name. You could say in the New Testament, that's for in every, every place people will be praying unto my name. And pure offerings for my name shall be great among the heathens, says the Lord of hosts. 
And that was what God was speaking to Israel, the promise that he wanted to bring them into to be a part of. And so they had an opportunity to be a part of the glory of God, of his name being proclaimed among those who did not believe in God through giving pure offerings, through following God with a pure heart, through waiting upon the Lord and serving him. And in that waiting, God would accomplish a great work. They were waiting for the Messiah, but they were getting impatient. And so they started to slide in their love for the Lord and their responsibilities in fulfilling that. And so Malachi spoke to them of his coming and, and what God wanted to do in their hearts. And so it, it goes on in chapter 3, Malachi 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, Behold, I'll send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. And that literally came to pass. He showed up, even though he lived a lifetime. It was, you know, he just appeared in the temple and proclaimed himself and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight in before, uh, behold, he shall come, says the Lord. But who, and here's verse 2, here's where the rubber meets the road. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears, for he is like a refiner's fire and fuller soap, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he'll purify the sons of Levi who had become a little lax in how they served God, and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. And so, you know, the work of waiting upon God is an active work because he wants to come and do something in our midst. It's not a time of sleeping or inactivity because we can see in verses 2 and 3, God wants to come as the refiner's fire, as, as the fuller's soap, and he wants to come and cleanse the world of sin, and he wants to come and cleanse us of sin to make us pure and holy. He is the one who wants to purify the sons of Levi or the people of God, his priests. And so really in waiting for glory and in preparing for glory, we're also waiting for cleansing. In fact, that's the calling of his church, isn't it? We can directly tie that to the New Testament and the calling of, of the people of God we quote this often, Ephesians 5.27. What is the church going to be like? Ephesians 5.27 says that the Lord might present it to himself a glorious church. And what is a glorious church? It's a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the church that's glorious because she has been cleansed through waiting upon the Lord and all the spots and wrinkles and everything should be removed. One of the main aspects of glory is to become clean, be made clean or without spot or wrinkle. I, thought that, I was thinking about that thought of wrinkle. You know, you can have the nicest, finest shirt money can buy. You know, beautiful stitching, wonderful color, you get it out and you put it on and you go to walk out the door 
but it can be totally marred because you didn't see that crease that goes right across the shirt. That's the last thing you want to see. Yep, I, I bought this really expensive shirt and I forgot to look at this crease. Or maybe there's a big spot from the last time we had it from that ketchup stain from eating french fries or something or whatever it is. You can have the finest garments, but they could be marred by something little. And that's what the Lord is speaking to us. What a disappointment when you have something so beautiful, but something is marring it. And that's the glory of God in us. We can, we can have such potential. God can work on us for many years, but there can be those lasting things that he wants to cleanse from us because they mar the work of his glory. They distract, right? I mean, you can, you can, someone can wear that, but it isn't, don't your eyes go right to it when you're looking at someone? Boy, you're dressed up nice today. You even got your ketchup stained shirt on, right? <laughs> but I paid a lot of money for this shirt. Yep. And you got a ketchup stain. See that it, it's marring the beauty that would be there. If a flaw in our character is allowed to remain, it's like that stain or that wrinkle. It mars the appearance of God's glory in us. And so at, in waiting upon God, there's you know, different levels of cleansing that he wants to do so that we appear as he desires us to appear to appear as the people of God. You know, the Lord spoke to Malachi what God desired to do in his people. And this was in chapter 2. Malachi 2, verses 5 through 7. He's speaking to Levi, but we are called to be the priests, kings and priests unto our God. And so it applies to us. Malachi 2.5 says, My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him who, for the fear with which he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth. Iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and deterred many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And here's what God wants to do in us in this time of waiting, in this time of preparing for the last days or preparing for glory, preparing to meet the Lord for our lives. He wants to give us the fear of the Lord, a deep respect for his, for his ways and his purposes for us, to cause the law of truth to be in our mouths, iniquity to be far from us, especially in our speech in what we say, to walk in peace and equity, to keep knowledge, and to seek the law at the mouth of God, or to be led by His Spirit. And in so doing, we will become the messengers of the Lord. And there is that thought that our ability to wait upon God to wait for him will determine what we receive from God. If we can wait for God, then we can receive from God. 
some verses in Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, 33 through 35. It says, hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that hears me. And here's, here's where it shows how practical it can get. Watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors, for whoever finds me finds life and shall obtain favor of the Lord. Here's the one who obtains the blessing and the favor of the Lord. It's the one who waits upon the Lord each day. Blessed is the one who's just, it's kind of like, you know someone's coming, you know generally where they're going to be. Now you got you to gotta cast your mind back to before the days of cell phones when you knew you could instantly reach people. But if you know you were going to meet someone and you knew the general direction, you just kind of plant yourself there. We've done it at the airport sometimes. You know, where it's like, I know they're coming through sometime. They're coming through one of these gates or here's the security checkpoint. I'm just sitting here. I'm just waiting. I'm going to look for them. And there's that thought there that that's what we do with God. Sometimes we sit there and it's like, Lord, why can't I hear from you right now? Well, we have to wait. We have to wait upon him, upon his timing, upon his schedule, upon his still small voice, upon his word to us. But when we do that continually, we'll find life. We'll find favor. We'll find blessing from the Lord. We can wait upon Him in our times of devotion, reading the Word, our times of prayer, even looking for Him in our conversations with other people. I love it. When you have a conversation with someone and all, and you get on a topic and it's like you start talking about something spiritual and the Lord is there. And you can talk about how, how glorious he was or how you met God in someone and that, that blesses the other person and encourages and strengthens. You know, speaking of our conversation, Malachi gives a promise about our conversations when they're they're molded in the, and guided by the Lord for his inclusion in, in our speech. That if we allow him to come into our speech to bring a greater level of cleansing, even to what we say, that God will meet with us. And this was in Malachi 3, 16 and 17. It says, They that feared the Lord spoke often one to another, and the Lord heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon his name. And here's his promise. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In that day when I'm collecting my jewels and I'm you know, putting them in my crown and I'm assembling my, those, those objects of beauty, they, they will be a part of them. And I will spare them, says the Lord, as a man spares his own son that serves them. He might not spare someone else, just some servant, but those who include him in their conversation. Or as Proverbs also says, those who order their conversation aright, I will show the salvation of God. If we do that, God says, those are like my jewels. And I'll spare them from what is to come. 
or he'll maybe he'll preserve us. I'll close with one last verse. And, and this was in, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. Because our prayer is, Lord, do this work. Do this work in me, this work of preparation. You know, help me to wait upon you so I can get all the spots out, all the wrinkles removed, all those things that will mar the glory of God being seen to, so that I can be presentable for his glory. And the Apostle Paul prayed this. In 2 Thessalonians 3.5, it says, and he prayed for his church, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. We need the love of God. That's the perfection of the saints. But we sure do need to be directed into the patient waiting and continuing and allowing God to work and cleanse and wash and refine. Lord, my heart is not quite there, but I know he can direct it if I will seek him for, in such a way. The word direct actually uh, in the Greek, it means to make a straight path and to guide or move in the way. I always, I, I'm really open to that thought of Lord, move me in the way. If it's all up to me, and my motivation, I'm going to be in trouble. There's some things I know I need to do, but if I don't have the motivation to do it, it doesn't get done. But yet we can look to the Lord and the Lord says, oh, but I can move you into that way. I can direct your heart into that way. And it also has that thought of removing the obstacles to come to that place. You know, some, maybe we, it's like, Lord, I really want to do that, but I have this obstacle that I keep butting up against and I can't overcome it. Well, if God directs our hearts, he's moving, he's, he's making our path straight and he's removing the obstacles to get us there. And what a beautiful thought. God is not just desiring, he doesn't just give us the plan and say, and the end of the matter and say, okay, get there. He, he wants to direct our hearts and give us a heart to get to that place of glory. He wants to guide us and move us and remove the obstacles that will keep us from waiting upon him and receiving what he wants to do. And so as we're preparing for the glory of God and we're preparing for the last days, let's learn to wait upon the Lord that he can do that work of preparation in us, that he can cleanse us, that he can give us his truth, the fear of the Lord, that he can change our conversations, that what we say to others is not you know, bringing them down, but lifting them up and including Christ in our conversations. And when I say that, I'm not just saying like we have to witness to everyone, but I'm saying, that Christ comes, his spirit comes upon our words and they lift up those around us. And then as we do those things, we can experience, we can experience what God has prepared for us, right? That no eye has seen and no ear has heard 
what he has prepared for those who wait for him because we have waited for him. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for your promise. Lord, thank you for your spirit. Lord, thank you for your plan for us and how you're calling us to walk in this pathway. And Lord, thank you that your calling for us is your glory, that you want your glory to come upon us. And Lord, we desire to come into the glory that you have prepared for us in, in our day, in the last days, oh God. Lord, we just open our hearts to you. We ask that you would come in a fresh way, that you would, Lord, draw us afresh to wait upon you. Lord, come in your cleansing power. Lord, come and remove the spots and the wrinkles. Lord, come and, and visit us in a fresh way. Come and move in a fresh way. Teach us to wait upon you, to wait daily at your gates and, and at your door that we can hear from you afresh in your still small voice. Oh, Lord, we just give you our hearts. Come, oh, glorious one, into us in a greater measure we ask and teach us to wait upon you daily, we ask. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.